God's will. I think this one would be extra applicable to my son this morning, since his name's William. Huh? See what I did there? Yes. It's not what I mean, though. We're not talking about God's will, the guy that came in, right? Uh, we're talking about um, what he wants to do in our life and what he wants to do as far as his purpose and things and, and making sure our purpose lines up with his. So we, we've been walking through John chapter 11 the last few weeks, and today we'll be finishing it up. And I was going to push into John chapter 12, but um, when the notes got to page 7, it's always an indicator that you better go back and just take what you have and condense it and um, go from there. The Lord spoke to me in this passage, and I was uh, convicted there. So John chapter 11, we see Lazarus being raised from the dead. We also see him dying in that chapter as well. And we also see um, a story of pain and loss being restored. And that's what we talked about a lot last week, right? The restoration of those things and how God can make things new through his son, Jesus Christ. So today we're going to focus on the crowd's reaction to, to those happenings and how it applies to us today. So the question we're going to ask ourselves today, are my purposes God's purposes? Am I submitting to God's will? That's a tough question. It's a tough question because... A lot of times we may think we're submitting to God's will, but in all reality, once we get down to it, we really are not. And that's hard to, it's a hard pill to swallow. It's a hard pill to swallow for me as a pastor. It's a hard pill to swallow for me as a husband. It's a hard pill to swallow for me as a father and as just a follower of Jesus because I find myself sometimes when I get out of, sync with where the Holy Spirit has for me. Um, I was, me, when I look back then, I'm like, ah, oh, what did I miss? Or who did I miss? Which would be more important. But I trust the Lord has got somebody on that pathway uh, to minister to that person as well. And so I can't also be out of his will anyway, right? So I got to trust him that he's got a bigger plan and things. And that's just a little bit of me thrown in there. So John chapter 11, we're going to start at verse 45. We're going to read through 52 of the New Living Translation. It says, Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw what happened. Well, what they see happen, they saw Lazarus come out of the grave, right? And remove his grave clothes, he's there. But some went to the Pharisees and told them that what Jesus had done. And the leaders, leading priests and the Pharisees called the high council together, also called the Sanhedrin, if you've ever heard it that way before. What are we going to do? They asked each other. The man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. Caiaphas, who was the high priest at the time, says, you, you don't know what you're talking about. Don't you realize it is better for, for you that one man should die for the whole people than for the whole nation to be destroyed? He did not say this on his own as high priest at the time. He was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation. And not only for that nation, but 
to bring together and unite all the children of God scattered around the world. Our first point this morning is prepare our hearts for God's purposes. We have two different reactions that occur in this passage, don't we? First, we have the group with Mary. They see what Jesus did. They see Lazarus coming out of the grave, and they believe. Many of them may have helped prepare Lazarus' body. Many of them saw the grief. They knew Mary. They knew Martha. They saw and they believed from the testimony that was given, right? And the others, they saw, and they told the Pharisees. They saw the ruling council, and they went to them, and they were tattletales. When the Lord draws us closer to him and to his ways, change in our lifestyle is an inevitable, isn't it? When God's drawing us closer to him, we will see change because of him. God will not allow us to stay where we are in our spiritual walk. He will draw close to us, and he will draw us closer to him. Or we will push away from him, right? He's always drawing. He's always calling us closer. We have a choice. Can we draw closer to him, or are we going to push him out of there, right? Jesus brings about change in these people's lives, and I believe they reacted from what was in their hearts. If God shows up in a mighty way, it demands a reaction. And it's not that the people didn't tell other people. They weren't apathetic, were they? They all decided that something needed to be done. It's just what they chose to do. Some were right and some were wrong. It kind of reminds me of uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 46, I believe it is, um, with the sheep and the goats. They both react, Lord, Lord, when did I see you? But only one of them did the right thing, right? They both did something, but only one did right. So we got to come to the conclusion that either Jesus is who he says he is, the Messiah, the Savior, or he's not. And if he is... If he really did raise somebody from the dead, if he really walked on this earth, which I believe he has, I've done some research into that, we better listen and obey what he commands. If he is not, we better speak out against him. Right? He either is right or he's wrong. And if he's right and we are his followers, we better speak up for him. And if he's not then we better be moved to action to speak against him, which we know is foolishness because we know God fulfilled who he was. But I think being passive is not really an option because Jesus either was God or he wasn't God. In both sides of the story, they react by belief or they react in unbelief. Both sides were moved to tell, and we see this from the first side, they go and tell other people in the beginning of chapter 12 when the, when the uh, triumphal entry starts. People were there just as much to see what happened to Lazarus as it was to see Jesus. And then we also see the second, they went and told the Pharisees. 
And we see, see it. At first, we see it as a miracle from God. The first, the first ones, they see it as a miracle from, from God, and they are moved toward faith. I really think you see this in Mary and Martha. I think from this point on, Mary and Martha get the big picture. They understand, and you're going to see that next week when Mary anoints Jesus' feet. She understood what Jesus came to do at that point, that he came to die, and she anoints him for his death. The second, they see him as a threat and a promise. They probably see him as the Messiah as well. And if he really is the Messiah, we have problems because we're pretty comfortable where we're sitting with the Romans right now. And if we go up and shake the apple cart, we're going to have a big mess on our hands. So they're threatened. They react out of fear. So they go and tell those in charge so they can stay in power and stay in good standing with Rome. So when God gives a command, we should respond favorably, shouldn't we? If God gives a command we should respond in kind. If God tells us to be peacemakers, we should be peacemakers, right? Oh, that's easy. I'm glad. Got that summed up, right? It's easily said. It's hard to do. It's hard to be a peacemaker sometimes, isn't it? When someone's screaming in your face that they're right and you're wrong, it's hard to be a peacemaker. But blessed are those who are, who are peacemakers, right? That's one of the Beatitudes. Or God says, don't lie. Well, God told us not to lie. What, what does our sin nature do right away? Well, God said not to lie, so we should probably lie, right? We should just try it out for size. Well, where are you getting that, Pastor? That's Romans chapter 7. Right? As soon as God gives you a command not to do something, exactly, our, our sin nature wants to do it anyway, right? It's like, don't eat that marshmallow, we're saving for later. Man, those marshmallows have been tasting so good right now. Right? If we didn't know the command, we, would have, we wouldn't struggle not to do it. But now we know that the command is there, now we have this struggle. Paul struggled. Paul was one of the... Yeah, kids love marshmallows, right? Yeah, and sometimes our, our faith is childlike too, and so we like to do the opposite as well. So remember, we have a God. We give God the praise. We give God the glory. We choose, we choose to change our lifestyle to reflect the presence of God. Our thoughts, our prayers, and desires, they move in line with things that please the Lord. We rebuke the unholy thoughts that creep in, in Jesus' name, right? Because we can do our best to rebuke things under our own power, but that only goes so far, doesn't it? It goes about as far as the end of our lips, usually, right? The only power that we have is in the name of Jesus, and in that we have power in abundance, so we rebuke the unholy thoughts that creep in. We evaluate our behavior and cut out the bad and replace it with good. Anytime we take something out that is bad, we need to replace it with something that is good. Right? If we cut out lies from our 
lies, we need to replace it with the truth, right? It has to have something. You've got to fill the void, or the void will become larger, and you will become a worse liar, generally speaking. That's, at least that's what I find in my life. If I try to take out something that I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with in a little way, and I compromise, the next time it comes to it, it's a lot easier to compromise with that, isn't it? And so, as I preached before, compromise is a killer when it comes to sin. And so we need to not compromise our integrity. It'd be like building a new house and putting in a 40-foot beam that's 18 inches thick and 7 inches wide, and we think... You know, right in the center there, it's, I think I'm just going to hit my head. So if we just cut a little notch out of that, you know, three or four inches, and we get up on that beam, it, it's holding pretty good, right? So maybe I'll just cut up a little bit more, and i got seven inches gone. Is that, is that beam, is it 18 inches thick anymore? No. It's only as, as good or its integrity is only as thick as its weakest point, right? It's only 11 inches thick. Now, you've compromised that beam for the rest of its days. It will never be that good anymore. So, evaluate. Replace the bad with good. Are my purposes God's purposes? Am I submitting to God's will? It's a good question to ask every day. So we need to stay alert for worldly agendas. Whether it's our own agenda or it's somebody else's agenda. Maybe it's a political agenda. Maybe it's uh, something, an agenda for the neighborhood that sounds good. Um, but it's not, it's still a worldly agenda. Right? And so we need to to be careful of that, that it's not ours, it's not someone else's, but it's God's will, right? It's God's agenda. We need to be aware. Does that mean that something that is an agenda for the community can't be blessed by the Lord? No. But there are times when they're not, right? It really looks good. It really seems like it it would really be helping out this community. But there's death behind those doors. Right? we got to be aware. The second group, they went on to tell the, the Jewish leadership. They, they pulled together the high council called the Sanhedrin. They hear about this miracle. They hear that the Messiah is there. Who, who raises people from the dead? God does, right? In this case, Jesus does. Jesus has said several times to these high council members, I am God. I will prove it. I raised another person from the dead. This is not the first person that Jesus raised from the dead. It won't be the last because he will raise himself from the dead through the power of God, right? This is pretty amazing. They call a council and it's not like, hey, how can we follow him? How can we turn our lives over to him and, and surrender to him? 
No, they don't say that at all, do they? They say, we're about ready to lose power. Everybody's going to go to him. It is going to shake things up in Rome. We are in trouble. What are we going to do? Who are they concerned about? Yeah, were they concerned about the people? No. No. Heard something really interesting on um, the world and everything in it. If you've ever listened to that podcast, it's a really interesting. It's, it's World News, World Magazine. You ever heard of World Magazine? It's a Christian magazine out there. They have a podcast out now. And the guy said, it's interesting today, politicians, they don't have to um, take a stance on any political view. They only have to listen. Because, and then he gave some examples from both sides of the aisle where they listened and then they did what they wanted to do anyway. Everyone does that. I, I see some real concerns there. Okay? I just pretended like I listened to you, didn't I? But I didn't say what I'm going to do about it, did I? And that's dangerous. That is like a reed blowing in the wind. Or as Jesus called the Pharisees, a whitewashed tomb. They look good on the outside, but they're dead on the inside. Be careful who we follow. Right? So these Sanhedrin, they were the religious leaders. They were the political leaders of the day. They made a decision. Um, They made a decision, and then they erroneously felt like God was obligated to follow along with it, right? So they decided one man should die for everybody. We're fulfilling the prophecy of God, right? They spiritualized it. We can, we can pitch it this way. It's been prophesied that Jesus will die for the people. Is that true? Did, did Jesus plan to die for the people? Actually, yes, he did. Yeah, he planned to die for the people. Maybe not quite the way that they were gonna, they wanted him to do it, but uh, he had planned to die for the people. So, to respond to them, however, this is how God works. But they wanted to maintain control. They wanted to be their own God. So they try to spiritualize it and they justify their actions by stating what Caiaphas said, the high priest that year, they prophesied that one should die for all rather than all should die. And this is a true prophecy, isn't it? Jesus fulfills the prophecy of Caiaphas in a spiritual sense. Kind of in a, in a physical sense too because the Romans didn't come after him then at that point. It does a few years later because Jesus prophesied, guess what? This temple's going to be destroyed. And, what, and that's what happened as well, right? They lost their power. They lost what they did. This is a true prophecy. However, when they interpreted it, they used an earthly perspective and they used a wrong application. God may be saying, you need to go this direction. But how you're going to get there is way different than what I think how you're going to get there. 
And that is where we need to make sure that our will is God's will. Our purpose is God's purpose. We need to be walking his ways and not our own. Man will distort the truth without the Spirit. If the Spirit of the Lord is not in it, the truth will be distorted. It is an easy way to quote Scripture and take it out of context because you want it to match the way you want it to go. That's why you'll never hear me say up here, the Lord will bless you if you just fill the coffers full of money. You know, you'll get a blessing tenfold for what you give. That's a lie. I don't know what God has for you. Is it a blessing to give? Yeah, that's true, actually. But it keeps your heart in the right place, right? It doesn't necessarily fill your pocketbook. Sometimes it does. Not always. So where do we see this in the church today? We need to watch out for people's actions that go against God's word. What are some indicators? Well, an indicator may be when it takes paragraphs to justify your behavior when it only took God a sentence to say it was wrong. When it takes paragraphs to justify your behavior when it only took God a sentence to say that it was wrong. Whether it is, it is us saying something is right when God said is wrong or is when we say is wrong, but then we try to qualify our actions as right, right? Well, that's not quite the same thing because I'm doing this, 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 and this. And if you see, would see the progress of what we get from this, you would understand what I am doing. You no, know, just be quiet. You've already, no, you lost. No, sorry, right? You ever done that before? I do it all the time. It's, it's like when my big mouth keeps going, I just got to, nope, nope, that's probably not right. What am I doing wrong? Um, I'm, I'm doing way too much arguing, justification for this to be right. If we're struggling, here's an example. If we're struggling with gambling, we don't hang out the riverboat, do we? Uh, you know, we don't struggle with drinking, we don't hang out the bar kind of thing, Right? So I know it is wrong for me, but it feels good when I win big. And doesn't God want me to feel good? No? <laughs> I guess not, not. Not in that instance, really, no. Um, but I would use it for, for the good. You know, I like that thrill of, of the ticket, and, you know, it would just be so much fun. If I won, and if I won, wow, it was just so amazing what I could do with that money for other people and, and myself. But if we have a hard time struggling, if we're struggling managing what we have now, how are we going to manage that when it's bigger? We're not. Maybe that's why God hasn't given it. That's why none of us have struck it big. Right? So we hang out with people who have the same problem. I think of, um, the, I got this illustration from the, from the TV show Friends. For example, um, if, the, 
it's when the the guys started moving in with the girls, and the girls started moving in with guys and things. And the second, the sexual temptation was there, and you have a roommate that's attracted to you, and they are to you. It's probably not the best roommate situation there. You're probably not gonna stay away from sin, right? And God says to flee from the evil desires of your youth. But we watch that. We romanticize that on TV. In our formidable years of college days, we say, well, that's how it's done. That's what the world does. It's, it's okay. And it's not. It's wrong. But we've taken it in so much that we start to justify our behavior. Joey and Rachel did it. Yeah, they're the greatest example of how to have not heartbreak every other episode, right? Oh, boy. So we need to watch out when man is your standard. So let's start small. And I want you to bear with me because I'm taking this, I'm illustrating to illustrate, okay? So there's two illustrations here, and they're, all, they're both going to wrap up in the same point, okay? So you'll see what I mean when I get to the end. Have you noticed the trend that we've seen much more this summer than any other summer? We've seen it before, but I think it's, it's definitely heavier. We've talked about it with some of my friends here at church already. Uh, the guy or gal at the light asking for money. They're holding the sign, and they say, um, whether they're, they're Vietnam vet or they're this and things. And all those things are good to support, right? We need to support people like that. But I'm not really concerned about those people. I'm concerned about my congregation. I'm concerned about myself and how I react to those people. So what is our reaction to those people? Now, let's bring it back now to staying alert for the worldly agendas. When we, it comes down to giving, doesn't it? And why do we give offering at church? It's an act of surrender. It keeps our finances in check for what the Lord wants us to do with our life. That's why we give at church. It's an act of worship. Okay? Well, you're saying that God is in charge of our finances, right? And if I give off the top and submission to God through the church, to submit and to praise God. Well, what does this have to do with the guy on the side of the road? It has everything to do with it. When we see someone in need, it is not our job to question the Holy Spirit's prompting to give. If God says give, you give. You're not going to say, well, I, I've seen him do this, I've seen him do that. If God's prompting you to give, you give. You don't quench the Holy Spirit, right? You don't snuff him out. It's not our job to question the Holy Spirit's prompting to give. It is not our job to question the man's habits, his lifestyle, or his hygiene. It is our job to be prepared to give. We need to have a heart for giving at church or with a guy on the street. When, it's man, when man is your standard, it's easier when we find someone on the street that's 
we may feel is less than us to measure against so we don't have to give. Do you see how he just became our standard? I don't have to give to him because, well, he's just a lie, cheating, cheapskate that he's taking my hard-earned money and I'd rather give it to something that's, that was more qualifying, right? But that hardens our hearts a little bit. When we're free to give in the little, it allows us to free up to give in the much. Giving like we would to Jesus. When, Lord, when did I see you? When you gave to the least of these, would it hurt us to give a, bo- a dollar to a guy on the side of the road? No. Would it hurt us to give a, a water to the guy on the side of the road? No. However you choose. It's the attitude of giving. Please don't harden your heart. And I'm not saying you need to give to everybody. But wouldn't it be something the next time you went to the bank, you got $5 in, in ones? So the next five guys, you're ready to give a dollar to? Well, what, what's he going to use that money for, Pastor? What's he going to do with that? It's not in our hands, is it? It's just like when we give in the offering. That money's not in our hands anymore. We trust the elders to use it wisely. And if they're servants of the people, and if they have God's purpose then we've done the right thing. And we've come out of that attitude where then we're blessed by the Lord, right? It's changed our hearts to change our lifestyle. To have an attitude of gratitude is something that is very, very powerful in a stingy world, isn't it? So we're called to give, and the Lord set the perfect example through his son, and he sent the perfect example to do the judging, right? He will take care of that man's heart. He will take care of if he's spent the right thing. He will also take care of it if we've squandered the church offering as well, right? So similarly, in politics, do we take the truth and put it in a political agenda? In other words, do we use the truth of God's word as a collar to control or a leash to bring to water, right? Do we show them, present the facts, these are the facts, this is what it says, this is how it matches up to God's word, and then we let them decide, or do we say, and this is how you should do it? Those are two different things, right? We need to speak the truth in love so that when they see it for what it is, they will be sons of God's, and not sons of elephants and donkeys, right? 
That's not always easy to do either. So are my purposes, and I could even say my politics, are they God's purposes? Am I submitting to God's will? Let's move on to our last two points. We're going to break up the scripture into verses 53 and 54. It says, From that time on, the Jewish leaders, they began to plot Jesus' death. As a result, Jesus stopped his public ministry among the people and left Jerusalem, and he went to a place near the wilderness to the village of Ephraim and stayed there with his disciples. Follow Jesus into the desert. Follow Jesus into the desert. Here we find the crowd searching for Jesus. But Jesus has relocated to Ephraim and stays there with his disciples. Now, I didn't have enough time to really tackle Ephraim, but, you know, it is one of Joseph's sons that was uh, that... um, that Jacob claims is his own. And it's an interesting story, and I'm sure there's a lot of symbolism why Jesus went there. But I, don't, I couldn't take it in, in the depth that I wanted to. Um, so I, I mention it because it is probably be important, um, but I couldn't, I couldn't tackle it as much as I wanted to. This is a result of the high council plotting to kill Jesus. Sin brings about disorder in our lives, does it not? Sin brings about disorder. And this is the opposite of what the Holy Spirit does. The Spirit brings order. They were, the early church, they were trying to say that, well, I'm speaking in tongues because God told me to do this and I can do it whenever I want because the message is from God. And Paul says, if the message from God then you can wait until one person's finished before you start your message. Because God is a God of order. Right? The Spirit brings about order. These guys, they plot to kill Jesus. The consequence is Jesus goes into the desert. As a Christian, we know that a time in the desert can be a good thing but it's not where we want to live, right? We know that going out into the desert or if we're in a time of suffering or a time of pain, this is where we grow as a Christian. But man, I really don't want to be there. I don't want to to live my life in the desert. It's hard. It's not easy to be in a constant growth pattern. Man, if I could just have a little bit of relief, if I could just have a little bit of comfort. And there's danger in the comfort too, isn't there? So we want to live there. The, de- the desert helps us focus our thoughts back to the Lord. It turns our dependence to God because he's the only one that's going to have the solution. The desert, we need to rely, in the desert, we need to rely on God. We need to trust in him and we need to draw closer to him. The people search for him, but he's gone. Their Messiah has walked out of their sight. When was the last time God walked out of your sight? When was the last time you went through the trouble? Maybe you're going 
through the struggle. Maybe you're struggling right now. And what does a struggle bring about? It brings about anxiety. It brings about worry. And some of us struggle with high anxiety. And I would suggest the time, if you struggle with high anxiety, I would suggest a time in the desert from electronics. Because they tend to raise that anxiety and not lower it. So when you get home from work, some practical application. The phone goes in the drawer. Maybe you check it once before you go to bed and make sure you haven't missed a phone call. Many times you're going to find out nobody called you. Right? Maybe you stay off the computer. Sun goes down, the computer goes off. That's a good, that's a good rule of thumb anytime. Sun goes down, the computer goes off. The TV doesn't come on thinking especially of the news. And it's a time to reset and to recharge. Evaluate what's going into your brain. What are you consuming? Is it regurgitating itself in anxiety? And if it is, then you need to watch the intake. What am I intaking so I can put it out later on? Evaluate what's going on in your brain what are you consuming? Are you amplifying your wants? Are you amplifying your wants? I know one of the things that I like to do when I get onto Facebook, I'll go to Facebook Marketplace and I look for all the deals that I can get on there. Pretty soon I start drifting to one or two items. For example, like a drill press or a bandsaw. And sometimes I find good deals on those and I'm, I'm glad but it's because I've saved up for several years to purchase said bandsaw, right? Then I go searching for it. I go on with a purpose to search for it after I have the funds to pay for it. And then it's hard to shut that off the next time, right? So I, I'm careful that I don't want my drill press yet, right? Because I'm, I'm waiting, I'm being patient. So another thing are we amplifying our political stance by listening to the opposite side or maybe to listen to, to reaffirm what we've already listened to instead of getting a balanced view of what is out there? And so we're like, well, he's an idiot or they don't know what they're talking about. If they would just do it this way. But sometimes we don't know the whole story, do we? And, and we know mainstream media ain't giving us the whole story. They've only slanted it one way. It's amazing that day that every single media is dealing with the exact same story. Hmm. Hmm. Whether they look at it from one side or the other, they're still talking about the same story. Almost like somebody told them to talk about that. Interesting. When you shut the news off, that's the first thing you'll discover. Everybody's talking about the same thing. It's almost like somebody's pulling the strings. Guess what? Somebody probably is. Or are you amplifying the problems of the world? It's interesting 
story going on down in Miami, Florida right now, right? When that building's collapsed, they're, they're searching for survivors. And it doesn't seem like they're going to find any at this point now, but maybe they will. But we have a responsibility to be praying for those families down there, uh, whether they're survivors or not. We have a responsibility to reach out to those and be praying for those rescue workers so we don't have any more deaths on our hands, right? Do you know there was a group of Israeli um, people that came down and, and helped that? I saw it on, actually, I saw it on a com- couple of your congregants here's um, Facebook feeds. But you don't see that in the news, that there's people that have come from across the world to come to help with that effort. And I would think Israelis, they probably know what they're doing when it comes to um, smashed buildings. Because guess what? They've probably done, dealt with that a few times with as many rockets been shot into their country lately. So praise God for the help. And praise God for our neighbors. And if they're willing to help us, it just shows that we need to be committed to them as well. So if you see the problem, or if you see a constant problem that keeps coming up in your life, and you're like, man, somebody should do something about that, right? We need to ask, what are we doing to fix it? Are we praying about it? Is the Lord moving us into action? Is the Lord calling us to doing something about the problem? And if the answer is yes, then it doesn't mean we need to go out right then and do it, but we need to start praying about it. We need to start putting a plan into action. What is God calling us to do? What neighborhood is he calling us to reach with our actions? Are we submitting to God's purposes and to his will? Finally, let's get into um, 55 through 57 as we wrap up. It was now almost time for the Jewish Passover celebration, and many people from all over the country arrived in Jerusalem several days early so they could go through the purification ceremony before the Passover began. They kept looking for Jesus, but as they stood around in the temple, they said to each other, What do you think? He won't, he won't come to Passover, will he? Meanwhile, the leading priests and the Pharisees had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so they could arrest him. This is not the first time that Jesus has gone into a Passover celebration with the crowds looking for him or the leadership looking for him, right? It's not the first time and it won't be the last time, most likely. Um, but it turns out to be the last time. So God equips the call Jesus gives us a perfect example of how to know to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, and know when to walk away. And I won't say know when to run because I don't think Jesus ever ran away from anything. Open your Bible and search for Jesus and his example. Jesus never ran away from his responsibilities. He always faced them head on. Jesus was the Passover lamb. He was just making sure he got arrested at the right time. 
He accepted this, and their goal was to arrest Jesus, so Jesus changed the playing field. If he stayed in town, he's going to play on their game board. But he changes the game board altogether, and he moves to the desert. It's an easy change. It was a bit of a sacrifice, but it's a move we see many times in the Scriptures. We see David moving to the wilderness to avoid harassment from King Saul. We see David moving to the wilderness to get away from his son Absalom as well. Both David and Jesus, they don't compromise their character in doing this. David respected the king and Jesus respected the high priest. Both the king and the high priest wanted David and Jesus dead. So David and Jesus, they changed the playing field. God has equipped us to work in his service. In this case, they chose to go to the desert. Sometimes do we want, it, we want the short end of it. We want the short, easy solution. But God is calling us to the long road. He is calling us to the long solution. Sometimes those solutions, they don't come overnight. They don't come in a week. They don't come in a month. They don't come in a year. Sometimes it's several years. But God has called us to that. He has equipped us to work in his service. When we finally accept that, we are called to serve. And because we are called, our fear is that we're not talented enough. Because we already know we're not talented enough. This is not a problem that is called for talent. This is a problem that is called for a God. Our fear is that God will equip us on the job according to his will. It is not our power, but it's the Lord's power that frightens us most. Because he will move us into the unknown without the talents, without the looks, without the brains, and forcing our dependence on God alone. We must remember that the destination is not about you. It is about God. It is the journey is what the process, the character necessary to that comply that complies that complements the mission. The journey is where we are found worthy to stand up for him because we are faithful in the little things. Think about Abraham when he was Abram. It was the journey. Go to where I show you. Maybe God's telling you to go to the place where you sh- he wants you to see this morning. To make his voice heard to the lost and the broken like us. God asks us to give him our full potential. This requires us to give him the pain and the sorrow and the joy and the success. God's kingdom does not need talent. It does not need good looks. It does not need brains to get the job done. It needs followers who 
who are committing to putting Christ first. It needs followers who stay committed when God asks them for big humility. It needs followers who are on their knees surrendering this community, our families, our friends, to a Savior who loves them. And it needs brothers and sisters who are willing to pray. Because God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. Clear your minds of all the extras. Ask the Lord where he wants you to serve. And then walk through the process of making it happen. Clear your schedule. Seek like-minded people and pray, pray, pray. Then ask yourselves, are my purposes God's purposes? Am I submitting to God's will? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for the commitment that you have to each one of us. Lord, in your name, I pray that we would be able to evaluate our lives, to look and see at all the extras and how they fit in with you. Lord, I pray that we cut off the fat, that we might get to the stake of your word, to your truth, and that we might apply it correctly to by your will and your spirit to transform our lives so that we can transform our communities, transform our families, and transform them to Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. Lord, let us not miss the adventure that you've put our way. Let us to seek you on a daily basis. Guide and direct us, lead us, protect us. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.